Thanks for joining us today to hear our latest Hope Central podcast. We trust this message will help you know more about Jesus and inspire you to be more like Him.
as a proud dad moment. I never held my sister's hand. There's no way I'm touching her hand. Yeah. But she's like, hold the hand like this, and they're, they're consoling each other. And I thought, what can I say to help these guys, like, process this and, and move on? What, what sort of questions can I ask them? And, and I really felt that's what I needed to do. I needed to sort of bring them out of that and, and to realise what this is about. And, and it was really hard. I found it really hard to bring my kids to a, a different perspective on, on what happened. I, I found it really hard. Do you find that in life? It's really hard to bring people around to a different perspective. They can be so caught up in what's going on in their lives and they, they find it really difficult. Have you experienced that before? Experience it with yourself? My, uh, the topic that I've been asked to share on today is encouraging questions. And I, as, as a, as a counsellor and a mentor and doing this stuff uh, for a big part of my working career, um, I can talk about how to ask questions and, and that a lot. Like I, I, I do that for a job, I ask people questions and, and, and I thought I don't, I don't really want to have a pragmatic approach to this and it's been, if I can be really transparent and, <coughs> transparent and honest with you, <laughs> I, I struggled with this one because I was like, I, I, can, I can give you five how-tos and, and I feel like I don't want to do that today. In fact, I feel God has, has led me on a path that I'm actually really going to struggle to share with you today, but I, I hope you made a cry spot up here, Anna. That's not okay. I'm going to have to stand over here. I, I really pray that you hear God in everything that's shared today. You need to be looking for, for God in what's shared today, not in how well was that message delivered, not in who's sharing this and what am I doing for lunch today and everything else but what God wants you to hear. You need to be looking for what God has to say to you today. Amen? Well, we've been reading this book. I hope you've been reading it. Who's been reading this, the Stay Salt book? No one. Well, I did a little bit. I, did, I didn't even read it. I listened to it on Audible. So get it on Audible. That's the way to do it because I... I'll read a book. I'll be honest. I, I have problems with my eyes anyway, and I, I, I struggle. I just use that as an excuse, but I, I, don't like, I don't like reading too much. But this was such an easy read. It's a really easy read. Lots of, lots of stories. I like stories. I'm a very simple bloke. Good story. Keep me entertained. And then slap me with the truth afterwards. It's, I'm, I'm very simple like this. But there's a, there's a part in it where she talks about when she was young, she came to know Jesus, and she was at a university. It's Rebecca Pippett who wrote the book. And she is talking about how people just kept coming to her dormitory where she was and they just wanted to know what she had to say about this. And she thought, you know what, I need to know what I'm talking about here. This is getting a little bit out of control because people are asking questions. So she went and visited a minister that she knew through a relationship she had. And this minister said to her, oh, you know what, you should read the book of Acts. And she said, where can I get this book of Acts from? And he said, in the Bible. She said, oh, it's in the Bible. And he said, this sounds like a very interesting Bible study you're running here. It's like, how true. She was so eager, so eager to do it. It's like she was still learning as she was going. And as you read this book, what I'm encouraged about from this book is that she just continually has experiences in her life of witnessing to people, of evangelism, of connection, relationships. She just continually experiences this. And this is something I kind of want to want to jump into a little bit today. You know, we, we need experience in evangelism. We need it. We, we often think, I, I want to be an evangelist. I need to have all my, my, my ducks in a row, my cards all sorted, all that sort of stuff. Everything needs to be right before I go out and, and do this. But this lady just jumps straight into it and gets experience. It's like she's doing it out of faith. 
it's not a, a one solution solves it always kind of the picture she paints in the book. It's not like here's five steps to evangelism, now we'll go out and you will get people saved straight away. It's not like that. It's like you need to go and get these experiences. But when you have a bad experience, it can stop you, can't it? Yep, when you've eaten something terrible, that's a bad experience. You won't eat that again. I was listening to someone talk about uh, Tim Keller recently and, and I didn't particularly hear this uh, podcast he was on but he was being interviewed in, as part of a panel and someone stood up in the room and they said, oh, uh, Tim, um, how, do you, how do you connect with millennials? How do you ask questions to millennials? And Tim's response was, like a person? Like, because this person has obviously had a bad experience with a millennial, right? I'm a millennial. I found out recently. It took me like three weeks to get over that. I'm, I'm a millennial. I, I don't behave like a millennial. I'm saying they're, they're all too quick and intelligent for me, so I'm way above it. Better encourage them while I'm up here saying that. Anyway, he, he said, like a person, and this person who asked the question, I instantly thought when I heard this, that person is talking from bad experiences, and they're like, how do I do this better, which is great. But that fear of a bad experience can really stop you, can't it? So I want to encourage you today with this. I, I was prayerful about this for a, for a while and I thought, I don't, I don't know how to say this, but I'll say it like this. If you're avoiding bad experiences in your life, you're chasing a fairy tale. You can't avoid bad experiences in your life. That is, that is actually factual. And if you think that you can live a life that doesn't have bad experiences in it, you live in a fairy tale. It's not going to happen. And this is the thing. We avoid bad experiences and it causes us to be in a place where we're no good. God's been talking to me a lot about being precious. And he looks at us as, as precious, but we need to be useful for him. Not so precious that once we're tested, we break. And when we, we break, I want you to, to think like this. When I'm broken, is am I being built up, built up by God? Or am I built up by something else? Because if you're built up by something else, you're easily broken. When you're built up by God, you're not easily broken. Yeah. I was in Hungry Jack's the other day and I ordered a meal and I waited like 20 minutes for my meal. I couldn't believe this. 20 minutes for garbage. And she handed the meal to me, this lady. She went like this, didn't even look at me. And I felt God say, here's your test. And I was like, how do I handle this? Am I precious? And I thought, I'm not going to be precious. That person's having a bad day. And I only thought that because I thought I'm not going to be precious. If I was precious, I would have been like, what is wrong with these people? Why can't they give me good customer service? I'm paying for this meal. Justification. But I'm sick of being precious because when you're precious and you're easily broken, you're actually useless. It's the truth. It is the truth. And... The more you think about it, this is what I'm saying to you today. You need to hear what God has to say to you in this. I don't want to be so precious that God can't use me because every time something hard comes in my life, I'm broken. I hope that encourages you. <laughs> it says this in Mark 9:50: Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Be at peace with one another. We had a camp youth camp uh, a few years ago and uh, Pastor Ashley was making spaghetti bolognese for us all and uh, was, I love spaghetti bolognese and uh, I think Fra oh, Frank's here, Frank, 
Frank came in and Ash was like, oh, do you want to try my, my bolognese? Like that. It's the best. And I said, no worries, come and try my bolognese. I don't know why I said it like that. Anyway, and so Frank's like, has a bit of this bolognese. And he's like, yeah, it needs more salt. You should have seen Ash's face. <laughs> it was so worth it. I don't know if you were just winding him up, but it was worth it. The rest of the camp, I was like, it needs more salt. It's like, it is salt. You can't put my salt on salt. It's like everything's salt. But it needs more salt. The offense that he had, I'm sure you're over it now, in the name of Jesus, you know. <laughs> but the offense, it needs more salt. It needs more salt. And, and the offense that comes when something is, is bland, like the offense. Have you ever had, when I was a kid, I used to love comfort food like baked beans on toast. And I'd have that every school holidays. Oh, I was the best. And I remember one time my mum my got these salt-reduced baked beans. And we didn't know. It was an accident. And, and it was like I was putting them on my, you know, you put them in the bowl, heat it up in the microwave, cook some toast, pour your beans on your bread, the toast. And I'm like all excited, getting ready to watch Karate Kid or something. And, and I, I cut up the toast, I put it in my mouth, and I'm like, what is that? And I was like, I was offended. I said, this is an abomination. These beans are disgusting. I was so offended by baked beans that were salt reduced. They were bland. Did you know the world looks at us when we come at them thinking we know what we have to say and we have no salt in us? They can tell and they spit us out. We come with the wrong agenda. We don't have any saltiness in us. We lose it. We lose our salt when we become really precious. We lose our saltiness when we avoid what God wants us to do, when we think that bad experience is too hard for me. I don't want to do that again. And then when we think, you know what, I'm going to try again and I'll just do this out of my own strength, the world can see it. People can see it. They know when you're not genuine. They know when you're trying to lead someone to Jesus for your agenda. They know. People know. People aren't dumb. And we, we think like that. We, we get that in our minds and we think, I, I don't know how to move on from this and this. The, the key is saltiness. Have you seen this guy? Salt Bay. Oh, we got to... <laughs> Do you know when I see this, remember this Salt Bay guy? It's like every time you have a barbecue now, everyone's like sprinkling salt on their, their sausages and stuff like this. Then you've got salt everywhere. It's in the salad. It's in the drinks and everything because someone thinks I'll be Salt Bay today. Do you know what I like about this picture though? Is the salt is going everywhere, isn't it? And it's like that when we have saltiness, when we have that connection with God, it just spreads everywhere. It connects to everywhere. I love it. It's a great picture of that. I, th I thought about that and I thought, because I had a steak recently and I was putting steak on it. I'm trying to do it like that. And I think when I did it like that, the steak was here and the salt went everywhere. But the steak... About four kilos of salt just to get some on my steak. This is the thing. I, I, I want to put it like this. Your, your saltiness is so important. And the thing is, we think it's so important for us. But it's actually important for others. Your saltiness is important for other people. Like that girl in Macca's that handed me that. If I didn't have God's will and desire in me and his heart in me, I would have showing her the opposite of saltiness. I would have shown her sourness, wouldn't I? I would have reacted to that, I would have been broken, and I wouldn't have been able to evangelise God's love to that girl. 
she didn't become a Christian on the moment and then we went down and got baptised. That didn't happen in the moment, but she didn't experience the same thing that the world would give her. She experienced someone who said, thank you. It was different because I had some saltiness in me. And we've got to realise this. People aren't dumb. They know. They know when you're putting it on and you're doing that. I love this. I, the book of Genesis is, is actually my favourite book. And, and I love it how God will ask questions to people. Have you ever thought about this story in Genesis where it shares this? This is after they've eaten the, the fruit and they know. And God comes looking for them. And it says this. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Where are you? God says, Where are you? Does God actually not know where they are? I mean, they're hiding behind some bushes. God knows where they are. He knows exactly where they are. Why does he ask like that? And then you think Adam's response here is not even answering the question. He doesn't go, oh, I'm behind the bushes. He doesn't say that. He responds with something that's different to the question at all. It's like, what's going on here? And I look at this, and I was reading this the other day, and it's like God is meeting them where they're at. He didn't say, I need some angels to go down and grab Adam and Eve. Bring them to me. I need to tell them off. What does he do? He walks in the garden where they are looking for them and says, hey, where, where are you at? What's going on? What, what is going on in your life? And the response they got was not, yeah, I'm good. I'm just hiding behind some bushes here because it's fun to do. They said, oh, I know something's wrong in my life, but I don't know what it is. They didn't know it was sin, but they knew something wasn't right. People know things aren't right in their life, don't they? People know. They go, well, why, isn't, why, is that, why are things not working? Things aren't working. This is, I just don't know why. And they will put it together however they feel it works with the community around them. And this is where God comes in and says, where are you at? What's going on? Where are you at? But I love that. He goes, I'm going to meet them where they are. He didn't drag them to him. And sometimes we can be like that as evangelists. We can say, hey, you need Jesus. And we drag them along to meet Jesus and they don't meet Jesus they just feel like they've been dragged along I was looking at this thing the other day and it was called cringe evangelism and uh, this guy's talking with his mum about this and it was really interesting like all these different quotes like turn or burn you know all that sort of stuff and and we thought yeah this is, is quite funny but she made this comment which I thought was really interesting she said it seems that evangelists always need to go and find people why is that? Why do they feel the need to go and find people? And when I read this, I thought, yeah, is evangelism me setting up a barbecue and inviting people I don't know to come so I can preach Jesus at them? Is that evangelism? I think that's one form of evangelism. I don't think that's wrong. I'm not saying that at all. But I think we kind of like get down to one thing thinking that's what it is. Evangelism is so much more than that. Evangelism is helping a lady whose car has broke down to get their car across the road. Actually, I did that for you, Anna, didn't I? And I nearly died doing that. Jeepers. I had asthma for days. She got saved, though. It was great. And now she's here at church. Hallelujah. Evangelism is being nice to that lady in Hungry Jack's. Evangelism is paying for someone's groceries. Evangelism starts with that. It's not a, I've got someone here. 
I tell them 15 verses and here is Jesus and now we go and get saved. I mean, the goal is that people would come to know Jesus 100%, but we need to be that to them before they can realize who Jesus is. Because the reality is, is that some of us here in church are still finding Jesus. And we think we can make someone find Jesus in a car park. We can't do that. God will come and reveal that to them. He can do that. Absolutely, he can do that. But our goal is just to be the vessel. And the vessel is what's so important. story about Philip so interesting uh, in Acts when he helps a eunuch come to know what he's reading. And, and we pick it up here in uh, verse 30 to 31. And it says here, So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So this is where the eunuch is on his way back. He's just been to Jerusalem to worship and now he's on his way back uh, to Ethiopia. And he is reading Isaiah and the Lord says, go, go out and meet him out there. So he meets him out there, doesn't know what he's doing. Philip doesn't know, but he just sees a chariot with a guy in there. And so he runs up and he asks the question, like, do you understand what's going on here? And I think that's such a good question. It's not, hey, let me tell you everything else that's going on in here. Let me point out what I know so that you can come to know that too. He said, do you understand what it is that you're looking for? Do you understand this? And the story goes on that because of that, he invites Philip up. See, Philip didn't force his way into that chariot that the eunuch was in. He invites him up purely because Philip meets him where he's at and says, What's, do you understand this? Can, can I be of any help to you? I love it. It's such a great story. And then what happens after that? The eunuch says, I need to be baptized. And so... They go down and baptizes, and then I think this would be such an odd experience where he baptizes him, and as as he as a unit comes up, Philip's just like and just disappears, ends up somewhere else. I mean, what an odd experience. Like, I don't and yeah, anyway, I, I think God does things in some really funny ways sometimes. You think, how did he why did he do it like that? But he got baptized, and all Philip did was be a vessel, but he he came alongside that guy and, and he asked him if he wanted help. He asked him and was there to be helpful for him. It says this in First Peter. I hope that's my next one. Here we go. It says this in First Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. When I read this, I was like, everything we do when we're with people needs to be from the basis of what does God want in this situation? If I continually ask that every time I'm with someone, God, what do you want for this situation? You're inviting God into it. You're making yourself more aware of his presence in that moment. And you're allowing God to work in this. You're allowing God to be a part of this. When we don't invite God into our interactions with people, we, we end up doing things in our own strength and we think that success is modelled in a certain way. You know, when, when you do that, I think to say this too, when we're reaching out to people and, and we don't invite God in like that, not always intentionally, it can be, be um, you know, not intentional, but when we do that, you know, you're going to have to keep working at that. 
you are going to have to be that work. Whereas when you invite God in, God does the work. Amen. We need to look for God's will in everyone. I love how Jesus asks questions. This is, this is a thing that I, I think we need to focus on so much. How did Jesus ask questions to those who didn't know him, which was pretty much everybody when he was here on, on earth? It's a great story uh, in Luke, and uh, it, it's called the, the Road to Emmaus, and we're talking about after the resurrection, uh, after the crucifixion, sorry, three days, and the, a lot of the disciples, you know, sort of scattered out, and they're like, I, I don't know what to do, some went back fishing, some would do whatever, but these two particular uh, guys were walking away from Jerusalem, and they're upset, and they're like, we thought it was going to be like this, and it's not like this, and it says that Jesus comes up alongside them and walks with them. And, and we may know, I, I hope people know this, that empathy means to walk alongside. So it's, it's a real picture that Jesus comes alongside them and empathizes with them to meet them where they're at. Like, where are you at? And, and he says, well, what, what's going on? What, what's happening? And they say, oh, we, we um, you know, have you been, been living under a rock? You, know, that you, you don't know what's going on here? And it says this in 15 to 17. It says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them but their eyes were kept from recognizing him and he said to them what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk and they stood still looking sad and he continued to talk with them and as the story goes is that they kept walking along and he pretended Jesus pretended like he was going to keep going on when they arrived where they wanted to go and they said come inside come come on we'd love to keep talking with you paints this picture that they were so engrossed they didn't know it was Jesus but the conversation was so encouraging to them and so uh like open and friendly and connecting with them that they wanted it to continue and so they go into the house and the story goes on that they're sitting there with jesus and he breaks the bread and as he breaks the bread they're like it's jesus and as they have this revelation that it's jesus he disappears and what happens next, they, they go, we've got to go back and tell everybody. And they're encouraged and they're moving on. Jesus doesn't go back with them. They go back and they, they, they go back and they, they encourage everybody else, which is a great testament. But I love what it says here in verse 32 of the same passage. So this is just after Jesus disappears. It says this, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Jesus' whole heart was for them to be restored. He, he didn't come at them and, and slam them and say, what's wrong with you? And he, didn't, he didn't hammer them like that. He just came alongside them and, and walked with them, with them, ministered to them. And the conversation was so connecting and encouraging for them that they were like, it says there that their hearts were burning. They were experiencing Jesus wholeheartedly. And this is the thing, when we, when we chat with people, they're... The conversations that we have, we need to ask questions, absolutely. But the questions we need to ask people are questions that encourage people and are about them knowing Jesus. Could I get the band to come up? That'd be great. The questions need to continue on. I have seen so many times, so many times, where people will ask questions and then they want to get their agenda out. And I could tell you lots of different ways to ask questions. But I really feel to say this, if you're salty, if you've got the heart of God in you and you are so focused on what God wants in a situation, you don't need 10 ways to ask a question. 
You don't need that. You don't need that. What you need is God's heart in you to see that person the way God sees them. Because then you'll ask people, hey, where are you at? And they will hear that. They will see God in you. The saltiness that's in you will come out. I have a word, um, and I have been struggling with this one a lot um, because I feel when when God was sharing this with me, it's not really my my style. I'm I'm not one to really lay it down and and say it how it is. I like to dance around things a bit, but I feel God's trying to pull me up on that. And uh, I, I hear people say things like, I'm sticking to my lane. And there can be a positive to that, and there can be a real negative. And the positive is, is that when I know this is what God wants me to do, that's the lane I'm in, that's great. But this word is for those people that are saying, I'm sticking to my lane today, that are using that as an excuse. And I, I thought so much about how not to cry when I said this. I thought so much about this and I thought, <laughs> we use it as an excuse. Like, I don't want to be an evangelist. There are people that are really good at being evangelists. I don't need to be an evangelist. I'm going to be the guy that, that fixes the chairs. That's who I'll be. I'll be that guy. I don't need to be an evangelist because they're like, you know, I don't want to set up a barbecue on a Friday night. And when we say things like that, we're really stifling what God wants to use us for. And there's this song, and this is the part that's so hard, and people will know this song, and please, I really need you to hear my heart. The, the lyrics in this song go like this. I drive really slow in the ultra-fast lane while people around me are going insane. I will not sing the rest. I remember when I was at school and that song came on the radio in the art room and the teacher knocked over about six tables to get to the radio to turn it off so that we didn't hear the rest of the lyrics. But God, God I don't know why God keeps bringing that back to me, but he's like, people around me are going insane. You know, when you say I'm sticking to my lane as an excuse, that damages the body. It really hurts the body because people want to move. People want to grow. We want to see God's kingdom grow. And when people are going, no, nah, I've had too many bad experiences in my life. I'm not doing any more. You hurt. I get it. It hurts. And we have empathy and all that for you. Absolutely. But God wants to use you. And if we are continually, continually being broken, you know, I, I used to chat my life when I was a Christian, uh, as a young Christian, and I'd be a victim to everything. Can't believe they didn't get my fries out in 20 minutes. It took so long. You know, I'm a victim to everything. And God wants to use me, but I'm, I'm being precious or I'm using excuses like I'm sticking to my lane. Evangelism is not you have to have the answers. Evangelism is not that you have to go and do everything everything at the expense of your family and your life and your work that is incorrect thinking evangelism is simply seeking God's heart and so today we're gonna gonna sing and this is where I'm gonna be really direct with you we need to stand up
and you need to really reflect today, am I salty? Do I have the saltiness of God in my life? When I'm around people, am I like Salt Bay and people can experience Jesus from me whether they're talking to me or not? Because I know if you honestly reflect about that today and you honestly bring forward to God those things that you know are either excuses or hurts in your life, God is going to bless you. He's going to bless you with, as soon as you get out the car park today on your way home, someone's going to cut you off. He's going to bless you with experience. We need to have a different perspective. We need to see what God wants in everything that we do because then we don't ask questions like, how do I connect with a millennial? We ask questions like, how do I show this person love? How can this person experience the love of Jesus like I experience in my life?